I'm going to read a list of names to you. I'm going to see if you recognize these. Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, Erastus, Trophimus, Carpus, Crescens, Demas, Philetus, Phygelus, Hermogenes, Alexander, Hymenus, Zenus, Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila, Tychicus, Artemis, Luke, Mark, Onesphorus, Lois, and Eunice. Those names sound familiar? They're all listed in the pastoral epistles. Think about it. Here it is 2,000 years later, and the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to record their names. Some of them are recorded for good, some of them are recorded for not so good, and some of them there's not enough information to put them in one category or the other. They're just there. So if I've been reading the pastoral epistles, Last week, as I read it, it was the emphasis on the Word of God. This time, it was all those people. Got a question for you. Let's pretend Paul came here to plant a church, the Apostle Paul. And he came to the Roanoke Valley. And he settled here, and he stayed here for, I don't know, 18, 24 months. And then he left, left the church to Timothy. And he wrote a letter to Timothy, as Timothy was preparing to become the pastor of this church. The question I have is, what would he write about you? Would you be the one that helped him, encouraged him? Would you be the one that hindered him and frustrated him? Or would you be the one where there was just not enough information to put you in one category or the other? Well, why would Paul write such a letter to his son in the ministry and name names. Well, we're going to study some of these names and we're going to see uh, what we can glean from them. Now, I left two names out, Janice and Jamborees. Now, I find those two interesting because those are two people that gave Moses a hard time. So their names are down in infamy for 4,000 years who frustrated Moses in his efforts to preach. So my point is, is as we look at this, this is not I told you so. We're all sinners. We've all done knuckleheaded things. We've done things that have been a blessing to God. But Paul recorded some. Why would he write such a thing to his son in the ministry, Timothy? Now think about it this way. First Timothy was written, and I think it was written after he just got here. Either he was just going to go there, or he just got there. Okay. And then some time went by, and I don't know, I just make up a number. Let's say it was a year. And then he wrote Second Timothy. And Timothy is pretty depressed after this period of time has gone by. Matter of fact, in Second Timothy, he says, I've been praying for you and I'm very aware of your tears. I mean, he's down. Preaching's been tough for him. And he writes 2 Timothy and he names more names. Paul, what are you doing? 
Now again, I told you when I read these pastoral epistles, I think having pastored for a while, they mean a little bit more to me than they do to you because you haven't. And again, the example I use is if you have never parented and you read a book on parenting, you'd go, oh, that's nice information. But if you had several children and they've grown up and you read a book on parenting, you'll go, oh, I know what that means. There's just a little more intimacy there. And I think that's true over here as he writes to the pastor. So I told you when I were reading these, what I do is I cross out Timothy and I write in my name, and it becomes more personal. And I say, Paul, what are you trying to tell me about these guys? Or on another set, Paul, what are you trying to tell Timothy about these guys? And he's a good pastor, and it's a tough job, and he's got this job, and it's, it's really tough. And he's giving them some warnings, and he says, now listen, these are some people that have your back. Lean on them, depend on them, trust them. But here's some guys don't trust them. Don't trust their doctrine. Don't trust their um, their ways, their, their, their attitudes. Be careful. Why would you write something like that and record it forever? Well, I think one of the reasons is, is people are the same always. 4,000 years ago in the time of Moses, 2,000 years ago in the time of Timothy, and, and today, people are the same. So as we look at these people, we're going to look at, well, some were written for good, some were written for not so good, and some there was just not enough information that their just names are there. And we're not doing it to try to earn ourselves a crown in heaven. Why would we study these people? Well, we want to hold up the mirror and we got to see maybe something that can help us strive for the cause of Christ, because ultimately this is for God's glory. Let's go forward. And Paul named some good guys. I'm going to start off with two ladies. Now again, remember, 2,000 years have gone by. We're sitting here in our nice homes, thousands of miles away from where Paul was. And here's a mother and a grandmother. And he's writing about a mother and a grandmother. And you know what he says? You know what they did? They just taught their kids the Bible. You know what? That's something worth noting. Isn't it? Lois, who's the grandmother, was a faithful grandmother, and Eunice, but if you look at the punctuation, the way it's supposed, it's Eunice, but everybody gets mad when I say it that way in the South, so I say Eunice. But Eunice taught her son, and they taught their child, Timothy, the scriptures, and it was enough to be recorded 2,000 years for you and I. So you're thinking, well, I blew it with my kids, you still got time to do it with your grandkids. And you said, well, they're grown too. Well, then go for the great grandkids. Because that little bitty snotty-nosed kid that you're helping out there, you know what? He might grow up to be a preacher one day. Here's some more good guys. Onesphorus. He was a man of hospitality. He, he had a, a church that was in his house, and he, and he refreshed Paul. But he also found out Paul was in jail. And he went and found him in jail and he refreshed him there. And one time he was in another city and he found him there and he refreshed him there. So he was simply a man of hospitality. He was always had Paul's back from a physical standpoint. That's what's recorded. <clears throat> My guess is he had his back from a spiritual standpoint, but that's what was big. He always had his back. Luke and Mark. One was abiding with Paul and the other one was profitable for the ministry. Here's some young preachers and their names were mentioned right there. Now we kind of know their names because there's some gospels written by them. So we have a little more insight, but all we had was these two books, 
we'd realize that these are profitable to the ministry. Tychicus and Artemis, men entrusted to deliver messages and report the progress of churches. Now, now, now again, think about it. Let's go back 2,000 years. Paul is writing his son in the ministry, and basically what he's telling him is, I know you got a hard job. I mean, you, you get the pagans here, the heathens of the land, they don't like what you're doing. You got the Roman government, they don't like what you're doing, that's overseeing everything. And, and, and you've got Jewish people that don't like Christianity and they don't like what you're doing. But you know what? You got a handful of guys that got your back. And Priscilla and Aquila. Now we know a little about them from Acts, but all we know right here is this is a husband and wife team who encourage preachers. Here's some more people that have your back. And they'll pull you aside and they'll take you to dinner and they'll talk to you about the scriptures. These are people that you can count on. Is that all it takes to be recorded in scripture to forever posterity? Yeah, that's all it takes. Okay. And then finally, Zenos and Apollos, they were evangelists who spread the gospel. So here's some more preachers. He says, here's some preachers you can count on. Sent Timothy to go pastor in a certain area, to minister in a certain area. And he says, these guys have your back. I know you're having a tough time, but you can't do it all by yourself. You need help. And here's some people that have proven and helped me, and I'm pretty sure you can count on them. So then we go, some not so good guys. Hymenus, he got listed twice. First Timothy, second Timothy. He blasphemed and he spread doctrine that ate like a can canker. So in other words, he preached false doctrine. He came in behind Paul and was preaching things completely contrary to what he preached. And he says, watch out for that guy. Don't let him in your pulpit. But you're not supposed to name names. Paul said, be careful, Timothy. I, I, I know you got a tough job. But Paul is the pastor of this church. You're responsible for everything that comes out of this pulpit. And you got to be careful about putting that guy in the pulpit. It's just the way it is. Now, I'm not talking about the way it might have been among our people 100 years ago where there was the bars of fellowship and we published lists and blacklists and all that kind of stuff. He's just saying, Timothy, in the pulpit that you're pastoring, be careful of this guy. Alexander, he showed up twice too, both in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. He blasphemed and he did much evil to Paul. Everything he did, he was just a stumbling block. He came behind him, he tried to do it. He said, watch out for Alexander. Paul said he did me much evil. Not just evil, much evil. In other words, Timothy, watch out for that guy. Phygelus and Hermogenes turned away from Paul in his ministry. So be careful. He didn't like the doctrine. Okay? I understand that. If someone doesn't agree with me, they can go. But here's some people that were in the church and they turned away. Be careful. Philetus, he's one who also spread the doctrine that he ate like a canker. And here's Janus and Jambres. He quoted people that didn't do it to him, but to give an example, he said these guys did it to Moses. All right. 4,000 years, these poor guys. I don't know how long it's going to be before Christ comes back, but everybody that reads the Bible is going to read about these two guys. Okay. And then finally, Demas. He was a man that... Uh, he got enticed by the world. He was spiritually minded once upon a time, but then he got to a point where the things of the world just 
attracted him more than the Bible. And he says, that's the guy that you better watch out. All right, let's go to the last category I have. Paul also named some not enough information guys. And you think, what's the not enough information guys? Well, you'll see. Their names are there, and we can't really tell whether it was good or not. Okay, if we read Titus, we find out he was a minister, and we'll say, yeah. But here's some guys that just simply, they left. Okay, they were with me, and they left. We don't know if they left for a good reason or a bad reason, so I just put not enough information. Okay? Here's Carpus. He said, Timothy, when you come to me, bring your coat. It's at Carpus's house. Well, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's not enough. I don't know if he did anything good or bad, right? Okay. Erastus and Trophimus, they abode at Corinth, and the other one was sick. There's a man that was sick. Well, we don't know if that's good or bad. It's just someone that went to church. And then finally over here, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, and Claudia. They said, say, hey. So my point is, is why did he even put those last guys in there? Well, he named them. Why did he name them for 2,000 years later that someone said to say, hey, well, is that good enough? I guess you gotta look in the mirror and ask yourself that. Well, I said say, hey, is that enough to, for the cause of Christ? We'll see. Okay. The good guys, don't understand, they taught truth, they were hospitable, they helped, they served, they kept the faith. That's what good guys do. Are you a good guy? I hope you're a good guy. The not so good guys, they spread disinformation, they divided, they hindered, they elevated self, and they were self-willed. That's what the guys that weren't so good do. Is that me? I hope it's not me. I'm afraid it probably is more than I care to admit, but it is. And then finally, the not information guys, not enough information guys, they uh, held coats, attended church, they saluted, and they experienced illness. Well, we all do that, right? What do you think so far? Getting uncomfortable? James, you're laughing too hard. I like C. You, you what? You like, like C? C? You like C? Uh, it's kind of float in the middle. No? Okay. <clears throat> it's hard to be not enough information guy when you go to a small church. If you go to a mega church, you can be that person really easy. But when you're a small church like that, it's tough to be that way. You're going to find yourself where you need to do something. Right? Did Jesus name names? And the answer is he sure did. So the question is, what would Jesus do? Or what did Jesus do? He did. And man, some of the people, you know, those scribes and Pharisees, ah, oh, you just read Matthew 23. It's just loaded with them. He says, y'all, you're a mess. I just took one verse, Matthew 23, 27, talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, you're white in tombs. Outward, you look beautiful, but inside you're like dead men's bones. In other words, it's just shallow, hollow formality. And he says, that's y'all. In 1 Timothy 5.20, he says, Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Wow, Paul was inspired and he says, Sometimes naming names is okay to even do it publicly. That's not that Jesus, Jesus is love, right? Jesus would never have you name a name. You understand? If you got a bunch of little children and there's someone that you are very skeptical about, you say, little children, be careful of that person right there. And then finally, third John, John is writing uh, about three preachers. And I love this little chapter here. It's only just about a dozen verses long. He writes about three preachers. The first one is a man named Gaius. 
He was for good. The second one was a man named Diotrephes. He was for bad. The third one was a man named Demetrius, and he was for good. Three preachers, and he says, he's naming names. And he says, Diotrephes, oh, this guy's a mess. And he told what he did. But we're not supposed to talk evil about people, are we? We're supposed to talk plain about them. What you do and how you behave makes a difference. You carry a reputation. And not only is it a reputation for yourself, it's a reputation for this church. But even more so, it's a reputation for Jesus Christ who you claim to follow. And it makes a difference. How many times have people wrote off church because someone that was Christian was a hypocrite? Yeah, makes a difference. People name names too. That's why they justify they don't go to church. No, we don't, can't take the responsibility for everybody that doesn't go to church. You know that. Someone's just looking for an excuse. You know, if they look hard enough, they'll find one because none of us are perfect. And then finally, I want to talk about motives. What's this name and name stuff Brother Dolph's talking about? Well, the motive better be right. The first one is Proverbs 1.15. It says, refrain from them who run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Y'all, there's some young men in here, and I know some people that are swift to run to evil. I'll say, stay away from them. I remember one time I was in class. This was way, this was a long time ago. This is back in North Carolina. And I, I've been taught, I taught at this school for a couple of years. There was this one young man, and um, I had him for a couple of years because he kept flunking. He, he was, but it wasn't because he wasn't smart, because it was that he didn't care. And he was in, let me get this right. I think he was in sixth grade twice. He was in seventh grade once and he was in eighth grade twice. Okay. So five years of middle school. And you know what? My goal was when I got him the second time in eighth grade, I didn't want to have the first middle school student that needed a parking spot. Okay. That's, that was my goal. And I started a class, first day of school, and I'm teaching my class. And all of a sudden, this fellow came in because I knew him from previous years. And there he was. And within 10 seconds, he had two of the boys off track. And I said, time up. And there's a little girl sitting in the front row. I said, find another seat. And I called him up and I said, that's your seat. And I said, believe it or not, and I said his name, I said, I love you. I said, do you really want to date these little girls? And then everybody like, they were laughing. I said, I'm not doing this. I said, my goal is to get you into high school with people your own age where you belong. And the classes, and they were scared. And one of the kids that he had going was giggling at him. And I said, his name. I said, do you want me to call your mom and tell her who you're running with? <laughs> no, please don't call my mom. And I said, okay. I said, our goal as a class is to get him to high school. And anyone that gets in his way, I will take it as a personal offense. And I told the kid, I will go over a problem as many times as you want. I will stay after class. I'll come before class. I want you to go to high school. <clears throat> so, but if you mess around with any of these other students, I'm going to be all over you like ugly on a monkey. 
passed and he went to high school. But I named names. I named names for the eighth grader's sake and I named names for his sake and he tried so hard. And I remember the first test he took, he studied and he did his homework and he got a C. And he was disappointed and I bragged on him. The next test, he got a B. Do you understand? But I named names. There is a time and a place for naming names. And it was for his good and it was for their good. The motive is everything. Do you understand? Now you can name names for the wrong reason and there's plenty of Proverbs on that. Proverbs 10, 12. He that hateth stirreth up strife. He that loveth covereth all sins. There's a time where you name names and there's a time where you don't name names. And if you're working with someone one-on-one, you keep it quiet, you keep it close to the vest, the goal is to save them. But if they're in a place where not only can you not save them, and they're going to take a dozen people down with them, you name names. Okay. And then finally, Proverbs 11:13: A talebearer revealeth secrets, a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. So yes, there's a time to name names, but there's definitely times where you don't name names. And you're working. It all depends on the situation. And here's a case where we're reading First and Second Timothy, and Paul named names. What was at stake? A young minister. What was at stake? A church. What was at stake? Christ's reputation in the community. I want to go with some plural pronouns. But in Scripture, there's some they's and some them's. Got it? Some of the days are for good, and some of the days and thems are not for good. And I want to look at a couple of those. Let's look at some of those. Here's some days that are good guys. Now, notice in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, we named all those situations where there were specific people named. Now Paul's taking a step back, and he's making similar claims, but he's talking in generalities. And he says, there is a group of people that do this, and they are a group of people that do this. And look at the plural pronouns, and he says, Timothy, in your church, you got some good guys. And it's trending in a good direction. Okay, let me read some of those. 1 Timothy 1.20, that they learn not to blaspheme. 1 Timothy 2.8, that men pray everywhere. 1 Timothy 3.9, some hold faith in a pure conscience. That's a good they and them, right? 1 Timothy 4, 6, brethren, remember these things. There's a group of brethren that will remember these things. 1 Timothy 5, 16, any with widows, relieve them. There's a group of people in your church that's going to take care of the widows. Titus 3, 1, they be subject to magistrates. They might not like who's in the president, but you know what? They're going to submit to them and not make fun of them. And Titus 3, 14, ours maintains good works. So there's some good days in them. And Paul was telling Timothy, hey, you got some good people down there. Here's some they and thems that are for not so good guys. Okay, let's look at they's and thems. 1 Timothy 1.19, some have put away the faith. 1 Timothy 4.1, some have departed from the faith. Some want to be rich. 1 Timothy 6.9. 2 Timothy 2.25, those that oppose themselves. Who are those? There's some people in the church that oppose themselves. Wow. In the church of God? Yeah. In the church of God. 
2 Timothy 3.16. This sort, that's a name of them, creep into houses. These resist the truth. 2 Timothy 3.8. 2 Timothy 4.3. They will not endure sound doctrine. They'll hold it for a little while, but then they want to pass something fancy and get itching ears and want to hear something new. And then Titus 1.15. Their mind and conscience are defiled. Wow. So, Paul, again, Paul, what are you doing? Are you trying to make them quit and run? This, this is some tough letters. He's telling me, he said, Timothy, I, I know you're down and out. I know you're depressed. I know you're crying. And I know there's people that, 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 that every time you turn around or, or, or throw a stumbling block out there. But you know what? You got people that have your back too. And the thing is, is you got someone that has your back. And it's better than the people in the church. It's the Lord. They got your back. They'll bring it to light. You don't need to struggle with it. They'll bring it to light. So I lean on him. In Matthew 5, 16, these are all very familiar to you. Let your light shine that men see your good works and God is glorified. Now I paraphrase that. I'm sorry, but I didn't quote that right exactly. But notice, we as a church need to shine our light. And there are some people out there that'll see that light. And when they see that light, God is glorified. Titus 2.10. Here's some people on the job. Everybody that works. And I don't care if you are waiting tables. I don't care if, you, if you're flipping hamburgers. I don't care if you're an engineer. I don't care if you're a teacher. I don't care if you're a, a mayor. It doesn't matter what your job is. <clears throat> Notice what it says. There are some people that don't purloin, that show all fidelity, that adorn the doctrine of Jesus Christ in all things. Here's some people that work hard. They work honest. They're good stewards. They take responsibility. They accept responsibility. When they're failed, they accept that too. And then what they do is they go for Why? Because that glorifies God. That's the day. That's the day. That's, the, that's what the days people see in the community. First Peter 2.12, having your conversation among the Gentiles, glorify God by your good works. Who's the they there? The they the Gentiles. Here's a bunch of New Testament churches in Asia Minor. There's a bunch of Gentiles all around them. They're looking at this crazy church. It used to be Hebrew and Jewish. And here's a bunch of people that converted to Christianity. What kind of nuts are they? And some people that are nice and polite and loving and good works. He said, wow, those look like pretty good people. That's the day we're trying to get it. And then finally, 1 John 1.10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, his word is not in us. So when we're sinning, people see that too, and they see that the word is not in us. But it's funny, as I read these names, all the way from Eubulus and Pudens and Philetus, there's one name in this epistle that has more meaning than all of them. And that's the word Timothy. Remember, this is who the letter was written to, Timothy. And notice what he says. Let me read these first five. This, this is more. This is a love letter in a lot of ways. It's not a love letter like I would have written my wife when I was courting her. It's a love letter like you would write a son. I mean, this, just, just read it this way. Read it like, like a father-son relationship, a biological, when I look at this next section of scripture. Notice what he says in 1, 2. He says, my own son in the faith. In 1 Timothy 1, 18, he says, I commit unto thee, son. 
In 1 Timothy 6, 20, he says, keep that which is committed. In 2 Timothy 1, 2, he says, my dearly beloved son. In 2 Timothy 2, 1, he says, my son, be strong in grace. He's saying, Timothy, Timothy, I'm giving you this instruction, not because I want you to do it my way. I'm doing, giving you this instruction because it's the only way. It's the profitable way. It's God's way. It's the way that will protect you. He said, I love you, son. You've got to pastor this way. You've got to rely on the word. Brother Dolph is just being a funny daddy. Brother Paul's just being a funny daddy. He's old. He doesn't understand. No, he's been doing it for more years than you've been alive. And he does understand. Now, notice what he says to him. In 2 Timothy 1.3, he says, In my prayers night and day. Paul was praying for this person he's writing day and night. In 2 Timothy 1.4, he says, I'm mindful of thy tears. I know you're depressed, and I'm praying for you. In 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, thy grandmother and thy mother, he knows them so well, he knows his grandparents. 2 Timothy 4.9, he says, be diligent, come to me, unto me, shortly. And then 2 Timothy 4.20, he says again, be diligent, come before wintertime. He says, I need to see you. So I want you to notice the love that's between this father in the ministry to his son in the ministry. And notice the, the, the passion that he has towards him. It's more than just information. Do you understand? It's more than just a professor teaching a doctor how to be a doctor or a lawyer how to be a lawyer or electrician how to understand the, 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 the technicality of circuits and things like that. It's more than just passing along information. Is passing on a way of life that's critical to his prosperity and success. These epistles are not a father imparting personal preference, but rather directing a son in a manner, God's way, the proven way, that will make him prosper best and most. Think about a biological father. I'm sorry, I got a biological father and, and, and son right here in the front row. And, and, and every, I'm not picking on you because everything I'm going to be silly with here, I did it to my own dad. How many times has dad given you a certain instruction all your life? And after the 15th time you go, dad, I know, I know, I know, you already told me. Does, it, does that ever happen? If not, I was going to put a halo on your right now, okay? <laughs> because I know, Richard, you've done that to your father, right? And I've done it to my father, and daddy's done it to his father. Dad, I know, I know, I know. I want you to look at these next commands. Thinking about a son in the ministry that's hearing this for the 15th time from his father in the ministry, and Timothy's going, Paul, I know, I, Brother Paul, I know, I know, I know. Paul, why are you telling him again? Because if you forget it, it's going to kill you. First Timothy 2 1, son in the ministry, pray and give thanks. I know, I know, I know I need to pray. Yeah? Give thanks. First Timothy 3 5. Behave yourself in the church. Dad, I know. First Timothy 4.13. Son, read your Bible. You've been telling me that for five years. First Timothy 5.1. Do not rebuke your elders. Now that's self-serving in that, Dad. No, <laughs> there's safety in it. 
1 Timothy 6, 10 and 11, guard against greed, the desire for money. I know, I know the things of God, that, that's most important to me. You, you've told me all your life. I know, Dad. 2 Timothy 1, 8, be not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I got to tell you this story too. One day I was doing a project around the house and I had to go to Home Depot. This was a long time ago. But I had to go to Home Depot and I had to get some, some wood and some plywood. And sometimes when I go into Home Depot, this was back then, I had a hard time finding carts. So I learned whenever I went to Home Depot to park in the parking lot, scan the parking lot, and look for a cart. And I park right next to it and I take it and I roll it in. Okay. So what I did is I, I did that and I found it and that made me and I was zigzagging my way back to the door with my cart. And I passed by this pickup truck. Okay. And in the pickup truck, there was a guy sitting there. And he was in the driver's side, and I don't know, maybe someone ran in to get something and he was waiting for him. I don't know what he was doing there, but he was sitting there and on the steering wheel, he had his Bible. And I came between the cars, right through there, right next to his window. And, you know, like the window's here and I'm there, and I look. The first thing he does, he takes his Bible and he goes like that. And I kept on walking, and I got about six feet past the truck, and I realized it clicked what happened. So I left the car, and I went by like this, and I went to his window. And I gave him a thumbs up like that, right? But for that brief little moment, he was ashamed of reading his Bible. Have we ever been that? Have we ever took the Bible and kind of hid it in our coats? No one sees it, right? I don't mean take the Bible and shove it in their face. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being ashamed of the Bible. Dad, I know I won't. Second Timothy 2.22, flee youthful us. Dad, I know. You told me that. Matter of fact, Mom told me that too. 2 Timothy 3.10 Recall my doctrine, my life, my purpose, my faith. And in 2 Timothy 3.17 Scripture has got everything you need. See this little book here? That's not a book. It's a library of 66 books. In this library, you have everything you I know, Dad. You've been telling me that all the time too. Alright? So, so think about a father in the ministry telling his son these things all over again. And, and I'm joking here because I'm thinking that's what Timothy heard from Paul many, many times. And Edward Cagle back in Georgia, bless him and bless his memory. But he told me a lot of things, the same things. And I look at him, I thought he was getting seen now, just telling me the same thing over and over again. And obviously he was seeing something in me that wasn't clicking, so he kept on telling me. Okay. No doubt Timothy heard this instruction so many times that it sounded like nagging. Has instruction from your biological father ever sounded like nagging? Probably. But Paul was not nagging. He was reiterating critical, life-saving lessons. Sometimes kids get to want to hear it. Sometimes they get tired of hearing it. Sometimes it sounds like nagging. Amen? But it's critical. So, with that being said, I'm going back to this three books we call 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. 
They are some instruction from a father to a son in the ministry. He named names. He says, it's going to be hard. From the very beginning in the church, Satan does not like what's going on in the church. And he will throw out stumbling blocks from outside the church. And he'll throw out stumbling blocks from inside the church. Wake up, smell the coffee, because that's the way it is. But also in the church, you've got people that have your back. Amen? And the question I have for you is if Paul was here 18 to 24 months and he was leaving and along comes Timothy and he wrote a letter, which one would you be? Would you be the stumbling block person, the hinderer? Or would you be the, I got your back, the helper? Or would you be the person, not enough information? For the glory of God, I pray that we can look at ourselves and see when we're hindering, we can see when we're not helping and maybe we can start doing that. And again, it's all for God's glory. It's not a competition. Because I'm not pointing you to each other or against each other. I'm pointing you to Christ and to become like him and to follow him. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.